Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with great talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence, determination alone are omnipotent. You agree with that or disagree? That's from the book Bennis and Nanis, Leaders, Strategies for Taking Charge. Welcome to Episode 60. I'm kind of excited. Two years, 60 programs for you, the Leadership Answer Man. You know, one of the things I love to tell people all the time in communication and in speaking and writing that often less is more. And I know a lot of people podcast a lot more than I do. I know people that podcast every single day. They release a new show or, you know, once a week, which is a great pace. But I've chosen to take the uh, avenue of less is more. So two years, 60 shows. As you know, I load them up every other Friday morning, and I hope these programs have been helpful to you. Today, I thought it would be fitting in this mini milestone of 60 shows to talk to you about one of my favorite topics, courageous leadership. I just got an email from a friend. He and I have been going back and forth. He's a president of a seminary here in the U.S., great leader, a wonderful seminary program. And he's been into his leadership now, I think, five or six years. And, uh, you know, Here's what he said. What a treat to get your email. Trust you and Donna are doing great. Yes, we've been undertaking some pretty significant change around here. I think we're headed in the right direction, but the road ahead won't be smooth. And you know what that calls for? Courageous leadership. Got to thinking about him. I'm not going to tell you his name or where he is, but um, you know he's been around long enough to uh, really get... Uh, possession of the place and now to really understand where they need to go. And you know what? That usually involves change. And change involves courageous leadership. I remember my pastor years ago, Richard Strauss. Some of you know the Strauss family. And Richard Strauss' father was Lehman Strauss. And Richard Strauss says, you know, it takes a pastor about seven years to fully own a church that he goes to. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, because it does take a while just to own the leadership. Now, I know today change is cycling so fast, and people aren't staying very long in their positions before they move on to the next, but I think there's a lot to say for longevity in leadership. And it takes a while just to get a grasp of the situation, and then you begin to lay out your program of change. And that's exactly what my friend is doing, and I wish him well. Sooner or later, it's time to act on plans for bold change. Most of this content for this show is from chapter 16 of my book, Changes Like a Slinky. There's no substitute for courage in the moment you flip the switch of change. Courage will need to be the fuel of your risk-taking as you act on your plan. Change agents have to muster up courage to make a real difference. Courageous leadership. Napoleon said, Take time to deliberate, but when the time for action has arrived, stop thinking and go in. I like that. Here's another one. You remember Ross Perot? If you're young, you probably don't know that name, but Ross Perot actually 
was a brilliant businessman from Texas. He tried to run for president, didn't get very far. But here's he's a man of action, and he made a ton of money because he was a person of action. He said, if you see a snake, just kill it. Don't appoint a committee on snakes. And then Steve Jobs, of course, he said, leadership. Get it? Leadership? Leaders ship. That means they deliver. I love the story of Sir William Wallace, hero of Scotland in the 13th century, a true patriot. He desired peace and freedom by uniting the clans of his country. Of course, the famous movie, Braveheart. He gained the loyalty of the people, struck fear into his enemies, and defied the cruel hand of evil warning the invading King Edward Longshanks of England. Have you never heard of William Wallace? Well, you probably do know Mel Gibson, who portrayed him. Gibson's movie and direction landed the Best Picture and Best Director Oscars in 1995 for the movie Braveheart. I highly recommend it as a great, great movie on leadership. At first blush, William Wallace would have been an unlikely candidate to be called a hero. He was born in 1272, the second son of a, a minor Scottish lord, and he was bound for the church. That's the path most second sons took in the 13th century. On closer examination, however, William Wallace had the early makings of a hero. At a time when most men stood five feet tall, Wallace was six foot seven. By the time he was 20, English invaders had already killed the father and older brother he adored. While studying at an abbey, studying with his uncle, William learned about the idea of freedom for his country in a poem that today is part of the Wallace Monument in Stirling, Scotland. And here's what it says. Freedom is best, I tell thee, of all the things to be won. Then never live within the bond of slavery, my son. English efforts to forever control the region would not go unchecked in Scotland as rage built within the young Wallace. Longshanks had required a mere six years to crush Wales. Wallace would see to it that his Scotland would not be completely subjected as Wales had been, but his efforts would result in a trial that was a gross judicial sham. And his efforts to legally crush Wallace, Edward I created a Scottish martyr whose heroism is still honored 70 years later. If you want to learn more about him, just Google uh, William Wallace, and it's an amazing story. So the marks of a true warrior. Braveheart did not just taunt the enemy with a war dance. He was a man of deed. Do you know about the war dance? The war dance was a ritual which American Indian warriors underwent before riding off to battle. There's nothing wrong with the war dance when it actually leads to war. In fact, it's an integral part of mustering up the courage to risk your life, the war dance. The problem comes when a young, untested brave becomes so enamored with the chest beating of the dance and the anticipation of victory and the planning and all the attention that people are giving to them that he begins to postpone his actual departure longer and longer to the war. Soon it becomes sufficient to look like a warrior, sound like a warrior, and be treated like a warrior before long-suffering the actual risks of warriordom begins to seem like a real bummer. The metaphor offers us a potent and very useful question to ask ourselves 
at any point of change. Is this the war or is this the war dance? Is this the real thing or is just the chest beating that precedes the real thing? Are we going to actually get around to using live ammunition? And see, that's leadership acting. That's making courageous leadership happen. I love this poem by Theodore Roosevelt. He gave a speech called The Man in the Arena, and it's about the war dance, and it's about courageous leadership. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. Just as an aside, I always like to say, nobody's ever built a monument to a critic. He goes on to say, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms and the great devotions and spends himself or herself in a worthy course, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who, at worst, if he fails or she fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory or defeat. I like the title of that uh, speech, that piece. It's called The Man, and I would say, and The Woman, who are actually in the arena. Before we continue with the show on Courageous Leadership, I want to take just a moment to tell you about a new feature that I'm planning, and I'd love your input. I'm going to add a new part of the show in the middle of the show called Hans on the Spot. And here's the idea. You call in your leadership question that you'd like me to answer on the show, and I will actually play your question audio. And then then I'll give you my answer. If you don't want to be identified, you can let me know that, and I will cut that part out. But call in. You can call me if you just go to my website and click on the Call Me button on the right side of the screen. Or if you're on a tablet or a smartphone, it may be on the bottom. But it's a Google number. You just click on Call Me, or the actual number is 720-440-2981. A new feature, Hans on the Spot. So give me that leadership question that I would like to answer on an upcoming show. And I also want to remind you, you can still get a free audio book by going to hansfenzel.com slash engage and filling out that form. If you'd like a free copy of my new book, The Power of Passion and Leadership, all you got to do is go to hansfenzel.com slash engage and fill out that form. Now let's get back to Courageous Leadership. The true danger is in losing the ability to discern the difference between achieving in the arena and just posturing in the war dance. I can't count the number of folks I've met who've mistaken the war dance for the actual war. They've never actually developed the ability to jump on a horse and ride off into the fray. Instead, they spend their whole lives beating their chests and mistaking preliminaries for the real thing. Have you ever heard of the paralysis of analysis? That happens to a lot of leaders. They're forever getting ready but not jumping in. 
My own closest brush with the war dance came in my decision to marry Donna. Before I finally got up the courage to ask her to marry me, I pondered the decision for a long time. Actually, not that long. A period of months, definitely not years. I was madly in love with her, but, you know, this was a big decision. An action that would have consequences the rest of my life. I knew it would be great to have a life mate, and I was deeply in love with her. But I also knew that married life would bring huge changes to the independent world I had enjoyed as a 23-year-old. We danced the dance around the issue for a while, and one day I just knew it. I knew it was time to act. Thank God I did, or I would have missed out on one of the great adventures and blessings of my life. She and I are celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary this year. Sooner or later, all great plans amount to nothing without flipping the decision switch and going into action. It reminds me of our move to Colorado when I moved our ministry out here back in 1999. The previous generation of leadership of World Venture had pondered the move. They thought it was a great idea, but they never pulled the trigger. Now, I am not criticizing them for not pulling the trigger, but one of the men, who you actually used to be my boss, admitted to me after he retired, you know, Hans, we just did not have the courage to act on a great idea. I'm so glad you pulled it off. You see, that move was very much a critical piece to the future success of the ministry. It was uh, a lot of complicated factors, but it really positioned our ministry for, for the future with a, with a new building and a new location and a new culture and a new energy and closer to our constituencies and, and just a lot of reasons. It was a great decision. As part of our change plan at World Venture, we hired a consultant to give us a SWOT analysis of where we stood at that moment in history. It was part of our preparation for action, a necessary part of the war dance. You've probably heard of a SWOT analysis. It stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. The exhaustive breakdown gave us a complete and objective picture of where we stood. It's like preparation for war, preparation for the future, preparation to solve your problems and fix the things that are broken and move forward aggressively into the future. So what did we do with our SWOT? And this is interesting because a lot of people pay for a SWOT analysis and then like many other notebooks, they stick it on the shelf and they don't act with a courageous leadership. It takes courageous leadership to act on a SWOT analysis. First, the board of directors had to have assurance that we would not destroy the ship in the process. But once we as a leadership team had had it in hand, it was time to act. After six months of pondering, we flipped the switch. We implemented a major reorganization. We put our money where our mouth was. First, we immediately set aside $25,000 as seed money for change. And not a lot for a big ministry organization, but for us, as a nonprofit, it was a sizable chunk. We put our money where our mouth was. We acted with courageous leadership. We restructured the international headquarters. We... Uh, released some of the brightest stars into helping with the change program. We organized the change team. 
and eventually it led to the name change to World Venture, a very successful process. We pulled the switch. In other words, despite much careful pre-planning and some requisite war dancing, we actually went to war. I heard someone put it this way, Plans are nice, but money talks. Talk is cheap. Many organizations are long on talk, but show me your budget, how much you spend of your discretionary money, and I'll show you your real priorities. I think especially in the church world and in ministry, <laughs> sometimes people gum things to death. We talk and talk and talk for meetings after meetings after meetings. We don't act. Let me just wind up this podcast by talking about courage and risk takers. No method, however clear, can hide the fact that it takes massive determination to drive change forward. Admiral Hyman Rickover said, Nothing worthwhile can ever be accomplished without determination. He was the father of the modern nuclear submarine fleet. In the early days of nuclear power, for example, getting approval to build the first nuclear submarine, the Nautilus, was almost as difficult as designing and building it. Good ideas are not adopted automatically. They must be driven into practice with courageous patience. And that's also from the book Leaders, The Strategies for Taking Charge by Warren Bennis and Bert Nannis. Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's, had a favorite saying about persistence. The message adorned not only the office wall of Kroc himself, but the executive offices of every McDonald's headquarters. Today it has become the classic, a worthy one. You've probably read it a hundred times. Maybe you've never heard of it. Let me tell you what it says here. Ray Kroc, and this is also from the book Leaders, The Strategies for Taking Charge from Bennis and Nannis. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with great talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is filled with educated derelicts. Persistence, determination alone are omnipotent. I'm not sure you totally agree with that, but I think it's powerful. Courage, courageous leadership, is really rooted in passion, one of my favorite topics. How strong is your passion? It will make or break your holy war of change. Warren Bennis used an illustration of Apple Computer and Disney and even the Manhattan Project. And here's what he said in the book Organizing Genius. Great groups are engaged in holy wars. The psychology of these high-minded missions is clear. People know going in that they will be expected to make sacrifices, but they also know they're doing the monumental task. They are doing something worthy of their best selves. When you are fanatically writing computer code fueled by Coke and pizza, you don't wonder whether your work is meaningful. You're fully engaged, absorbed by the problem, lost in the task. But people in great groups are different from those who spend countless hours enthralled to video games or other trivial pursuits. Their clear collective purpose makes everything they do seem meaningful and valuable. A powerful enough vision, and I would add passion, can transform what would otherwise be lost in drudgery 
into sacrifice. He goes on to explain that leaders of great groups recruit people for crusades, not jobs. Are you able to frame your change proposal in terms of a crusade? And I think that's true especially today among you millennials. You're not interested in working for an organization. You're interested in signing up for a cause. I love that about the young generation. Hopefully the work of your ministry, your organization, your business has some merit, fights some worthy adversary, leaves some legacy capable of being woven into the language of a crusade. If you wonder whether you have the courage to lead a charge for your organization, consider this poem that I'm going to finish with from Ann Landers, The Dilemma. To laugh is to risk appearing a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out for another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk rejections. To place your dreams before the crowd is to risk ridicule. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To go forward in the face of overwhelming odds is to risk failure. But risks must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he cannot learn, feel, change, grow, or love. Changed by his certitudes, he is a slave. Only a person who takes risks is free. That's creative leadership. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.